Well, good morning, everyone, and I also, too, would like to say Happy Father's Day to, fa to all you dads. I had the privilege of being a dad of four, and of course, now I'm in the granddad stage, which is pretty special also. Um, we're in a series, meaning we take a topic, and we talk about it for a couple, several weeks, and we started last week with this one called Unreligious, and if you didn't, if you missed that, you can go back and, and watch that. Uh, today's topic is called Just In Case. Now, one reason we're doing this series is because all of us have people we wish would become Jesus followers that connected with us, and they've rejected it for some reason, but oftentimes it isn't Jesus that's rejecting, they're reject, rejecting religion or their concept of religion. So it's really important for us to understand the difference between uh, faith in Jesus and quote-unquote religion, because even in... Christian church, we've made, often made it into a religion, which Jesus didn't intend it for it to be. <clears throat> so I want to start with a question, probably a question that many of you have thought of, or something you've thought about, and maybe you haven't voiced it, or maybe you have, and that's this. Religion is kind of weird, isn't it? It's just kind of weird. Uh, one way you can experience that is if you go over to another country, like we've been to France, we've been to Israel. In France, we went to the Catholic Church, that was the churches that were there, and we didn't understand the language, so if you take the language away, if you just are an observer, it just seems kind of weird, some of the stuff that they do. Uh, my wife and I, a long time ago, went to a, a, a Buddhist service, and they did some stuff we thought was... Uh, just kind of weird. They, they actually served food to these, we would call it like statues or idols. And to us, that was just kind of weird. Um, it's often mystical. People uh, chanting or uh, meditating. And uh, to an outsider, that, that can look kind of weird. Often religion becomes superstitious. <laughs> uh, we think if we do this, we can get this result. If we don't do this, we get, don't get that result. So, you know, if I walk under a ladder, I have bad luck. <laughs> well, if I don't go to church, something bad's going to happen to me. If I don't put some money in the offering plate. So, it's very uh, superstitious. In fact, it falls into the category, well, I'm afraid not to. I'm afraid not to do this. Something bad will happen to me. And so, I will do these religious activities. And sometimes it just gets... I, I, Hopefully, I'm not offending anybody, but it's kind of goofy. Uh, people claim to see, you know, Jesus or Mary in a screen door or, a, you know, uh, the uh, side of a building or something. My first thought is, how do you know what Jesus looks like? Or how do you know what Mary looks like? And we were missionaries in Portugal. We, there was a place called Fatima <clears throat> where, close to 100 years ago, a shepherd girl claims, maybe she did, but she claims she saw a vision of Mary. And so, uh, the folks there made it into a <clears throat> holy place, a shrine. And people from hundreds of miles away will travel there. We would watch, uh, I remember watching a lady crawl quite a distance up to this shrine, all in an attempt to, we'd say, worship. It was a type of worship. It just seemed kind of goofy or kind of strange. And then legalism always seems to creep into religion. There's these rules, right? Religion has rules. So you, things you can do, things you can't do. And you're on the uh, bad side of God if you don't do what you're supposed to do or if you do what you're not supposed to do. And uh, <clears throat> then it feeds into judgmentalism because I will judge myself better than you because I don't do those things that you do 
Well, I do these things that you don't do. And so that's another part, uh, kind of weird with, with religion. And then ultimately, it feeds into hypocrisy. All of us want to appear more religious than we really are. And so consequently, we hide some of our negative traits and some of the things we do, do that we shouldn't do. And so in reality, we all be, wind up being hypocritical or hiding something about ourselves. And so consequently, many people, either they were involved in religion at one point and just got tired of it, got fed up with it, got frustrated with it, or have never tried it because it's weird or just doesn't seem beneficial to them. A couple other ways of stating it is this way. It's almost as if the harder and more uncomfortable something is, the more religious it feels. Uh, I know growing up, we went to church, we dressed in uncomfortable clothes, we sat in uncomfortable, called them pews, uh, we may had to participate in some uncomfortable activities, uh, things we didn't understand, or maybe just some guy like me getting up there and talking and being boring for a half hour, whatever it might be. In fact, how do, I wondered how cults got started where people wear these weird outfits and cut their hair in weird, weird ways and do weird things. And it's because this idea that the more weird, uncomfortable, harder this thing seems, the more religious it feels. So what, do we, what we're trying to do actually in religion is kind of odd anyway, kind of strange, because we're trying to connect the natural with the supernatural. We're trying to connect the uh, invisible with the visible. So it's really an odd thing to begin with. And so we're trying to bridge the gap between those two, the things you can see and the things you can't see. So consequently, our attempts at times are going to seem kind of odd. Now, we're going to look at uh, an incident from the early church it's about 20 years after Jesus died. The church is getting started. And we're going to involve a guy named Paul we talked about last week. And he's going to be in Athens, uh, a Greek center, a Greek culture. And he's going to try and bring Christianity to them. And we're going to find that the Christianity of, say, 50, 55 B.C. had none of these trappings we have today, none of this weirdness, none of these oddities that are part of what we think is religion or Christianity today. In fact, you might even say it this way. Oftentimes, religion is what gets in the way of having an authentic relationship with God. Certainly, if it turns you off, it's certainly keeping you from having an authentic relationship. <clears throat> so, we're going to see that Paul presents a, Christ, a simple Christianity. It's about a relationship. It's not about these rules. It's not about the trappings. It's not about the rituals. It's not about all those other things. And it's liberating. It's not something that we want to get away from. It'd be something we should be a, attracted to. Now, you've got to realize this is, was a really hard sell, so to speak, for Paul, a Jew trying to convince Greeks who were kind of a cultural center, uh, transferring it kind of to the Romans at that time, uh, about a guy named Jesus that lived the 
thousand miles away in this back part of the empire and grew up as a carpenter and then went around preaching and telling people he was God for a couple of years. Then the Romans killed him and then three days later, he came back to life. That's what Paul is going to get or try and get the Greeks to believe. So that's a pretty hard sell, right? Uh, It had no religious history, maybe 20 years. Uh, They had no buildings or shrines. Uh, Hard sell. And so it's just fascinating to me as we uh, read through this account where Paul is bringing Christianity to the city of Athens. So this is a book of the Bible we call Acts, mostly about uh, the ministry of Paul. Being a Jew, God called him to go to non-Jews, which again was a really hard sell in the first century. So here we go. When Paul was waiting for them, who was them? It was Silas and Timothy. Uh, several people would go together on these missionary trips, starting churches. And at this point, they had separated to do two different things. And Paul was waiting in Athens for them to catch up with him. Now, he didn't just wait. He was obviously uh, involved in sharing what we call the gospel, the good news. Now, he was deeply troubled and upset by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. I don't know about you. I get upset when I see the idols in our culture. They're not normally physical idols, but people worship all kinds of stuff. He went to the synagogue, that's where he had started, he was Jewish descent, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles that were there, and he spoke daily in the public square to all that happened to be there. So they didn't have TV and radio and all this stuff back then, so what people would do, they would stand out in the public and talk and draw a crowd, and people would listen for a while. If they were interested, they'd listen longer. So that's what Paul was doing. Not only that, he had a debate with some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, right? We'll get, I'll explain that in a minute. When he told them about, what was he going to talk about? Well, Jesus and this Jesus resurrecting from the dead. They said, a natural reaction. What's the babbler trying to say about these strange ideas he's picked up? This seemed weird. Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign god. And, you know, we're, we're Greeks and we, we worship Greek gods. He's talking about some other god. Now, notice, and this is really important, they're not arguing. They're not bashing each other. They're not, not listening to each other. Uh, boy, we could learn a lot from them today, couldn't we? Uh, in our culture. Now, Epicureans, they believe that life was just about pleasure. It was just about now. It was just about having a good time. It was all about the material, what you could see. Uh, don't worry about when you die. Don't, didn't believe there's anything past that. Now, They wouldn't call themselves that, but there's a lot of those folks around today, aren't there? Live for pleasure. Uh, Just a material. On the complete kind of opposite end of that, same crowd he was was talking to are the Stoics. Now, Stoics were all about the mind, about reasoning and and no emotion and self-sufficiency and self-discipline. And we have some of those people around today also. So these are the two groups of philosophers he's talking to. And what's Paul's message going to be? It's not going to be about pleasure. It's not going to be about materialism. It's not going to be about no emotions and just simply reason. He said, my message is about a real person 
This is not just about intellectual thoughts. I'm talking to you about a real person and a current event. This just happened like 20 years ago. You can go to Israel, Jerusalem, and find hundreds of people that were eyewitnesses to what I'm going to tell you. So here begins the discussion. They took him to the high council of the city. That was kind of like a court, but it wasn't a court for judging like legal things. It was a court deciding if they felt it was a value for what you had to say to be heard. <laughs> so you spoke and they decided, yeah, you're okay for you to share your, your thoughts with other people. Or no, no, your thoughts are not acceptable to us. So that was what his judging was going to be judged on. You are saying some rather strange things, so we want to make this decision. And we want to know what it's all about. Give us some details. And so, of course, Paul was, was anxious to do that. Now, he's, the text says it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing latest ideas. So this was their, their favorite pastime. And for some people, it was their full-time <laughs> occupation or job. They had enough money to live and just go around and, and discuss things and talk about things. Uh, if you've been to college, often college campuses become kind of these places, seminaries. If you've been to a seminary, we'll sit, uh, sit around, usually about theological issues, but we sit around and discuss topics. And so that was what was happening in, in Athens when Paul was visiting. So he stood before the council, he dressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Now, notice he didn't start, start off by saying, hey, you guys are worshiping false idols. <laughs> he didn't insult them. He didn't make them defensive. He, if you want to say it, he complimented. He told them the truth. He complimented them. He said, you're very religious in every way. Now, what he really meant by saying that was you're very superstitious. And as we're going to talk about their theology and Paul's theology, you're going to find it. They are very superstitious, like many religious people are today. And he explains what he means. Well, how do I know you're very religious? Well, I was walking along and I saw many shrines. And one, and one of your altars had the inscription on it to an unknown God. So you got this God and this God and this God. And you even got one to an unknown God over here. That's really religious. This God to whom you worship without knowing... Okay, you claim to know something about this one and this one, this one, this one over here. You don't even know enough to know who it is or, or why you should be worshiping him. He says, you're trying to worship someone you don't know. I'm going to tell you about the one that you don't know. Now, you think if, if he happens to show up, you can say, uh-oh, we didn't, we didn't deliberately ignore you. Here's your, here's your idol. Paul said, no, no, I'm going to talk to you about this God you don't know. Um, the, another way of titling this unknown God is the just-in-case God, right? So we got Zeus and Apollo and all these other guys, and we, there might be one we don't know. So just in case, we don't want to insult him, <laughs> so we made this idol or altar to him. Consequently, their religion... It demonstrates the fact they had no certainty. They had no insurance. They weren't sure they had all the gods they needed to worship and were worshiped them correctly. Now, folks do the same thing today. Again, I, hopefully I'm not offending anybody. But, for example, we have 
people we call Christers. They go to church Christmas and Easter. Why? If you ask them the question why, they probably wouldn't answer it this way, but it's just in case, right? <laughs> just in case there's something to this Christianity thing, I'll put in, you know, a couple of Sundays a year. Uh, hopefully that'll be sufficient, just in case. Um, uh, Catholic religion have confession. Uh, where they, you go and confess to the priest. Now, some people go confession every day. Some people go once a week. Some people go like once a year. And you say, well, why do you go once a year? Well, reality is they go, why? Just in case. This is a significant case. Just in case this is important to God. I can say, well, I checked that box off. I did it once a year. I went uh, to confession. Uh, parents will send their kids to church or Sunday school. And they don't want to go or they drop them off. Uh, or they may put up with coming because, why? Well, just in case <laughs> there's something to this thing, I want to expose my kids, my kids to it. So we do the same thing as the Athenians did. We have these practices that we do just in case, and there's lots of others that we can think of. So back to Paul's uh, discussion with these philosophers. <clears throat> uh, this unknown God that I want to tell you about, <laughs> he is the God. He is the one God. He is the true God. And he explains to him what he means by that. He made the world and everything in it. That would be God, right? Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. You have this temple and that temple, that's, that's nice. But, you know, he doesn't live there. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. If you're God, you have no needs, right? That's part of the built-in definition. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He created everything. And he satisfies every need. So he's basically telling you wrong <laughs> in a polite way. He, you know, you got this God and that God. You think you're limited to this temple and that temple. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's one true God created everything. He's like the God over all your gods. He's the big God. <clears throat> he has no needs. So when you think he has a need, <laughs> uh, he doesn't have a need. Here, here, here's, here's the way I sum, summarize it for you. God is bigger than your religion. You're, you've kind of put God, as I said last week, in a box. <laughs> and you think this is it. You know, God's way, way bigger. Uh, you, you can't do anything for him because <laughs> he's God. I use this kind of silly illustration sometimes. It's kind of like an ant coming to me and saying, hey, what can I do for you? And I'm thinking... I don't think there's anything you can do for me, aunt. Well, as silly as that is, this is a bigger gap between God and us. There's nothing we can do for him. He's God. Kind of like uh, trying to buy a, a gift for somebody that, that's rich, you know. Well, they already buy everything they want, right? Everything they, much less they, what they need. So what, what kind of gift can you give them? Um, and he's the source and provider for every good thing. So then he goes on, explain, talking to him, explaining to him about this God, his God. From one man, he created all nations to the whole earth. He created the first man, and now everybody's descended. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, when they're born, when they die, and he determined their boundaries uh, of, of countries and so forth, basically saying he's all-powerful, he's in control. His purpose was for the nations to seek after 
himself or God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he's not far, sometime we'll have to talk about that. You may think God's far away. He's not far away. He's not hiding. If you seek him, you can find him. Now, that's kind of a definition of religion, though. Religion seeking to find him, trying to find the answers to that built-in need we have to worship something outside ourselves. But religion can't supply the answers and can't supply the, the assurance, can't supply the certainty. It left you with unanswered questions. For in him, and you've probably heard this, for in him we live and move and have our being or existence. Some of your own poets, now again, the wisdom or the brilliance of Paul saying, okay, even your, your uh, Greek poets have, have, have said this or taught this. We are his offspring. We are all descendants from God, God's creation. And since this is true, we shouldn't think, think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So you've made these idols, and we, it's kind of silly to think if God's who we just described him as, that he would be restricted to such concrete, small things. So hopefully they're following his logic. <clears throat> he said, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. So in the past, people didn't know any better. In fact, you Greeks didn't know any better. But now, things have changed. Something's different. He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. Now, the word repent literally means to change your mind. We always apply it to that religious area. <clears throat> but uh, we talked about deconversion last week. That's changing your mind, right? Well, that's what repentance is, changing your mind. So, it's changing your mind from believing in Greek gods to bring, believing in Paul's God, Yahweh God. Um, that's repentance. But we know in Christianity, repentance requires turning from your sins because the key to, re to the relationship with, with this God is being forgiven for our sins, which He provides. And we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> for He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man, who? Jesus, who is appointed. So Jesus is going to judge the world. So it's important then that you get this right because there's going to be a judgment. We are all responsible for believing, in this case, accepting the gift of salvation through this one God. And now he's again, he's going to go back to this, his, his foundational point. And he, God, proved to everyone who this is by raising it from the dead. Uh, God's not mad at you. He's addressing your ignorance. He would like you to change your mind. He would like you to repent. But it's all about not philosophical ideas, but about a real person that lived and a real event, his death and resurrection. Now, can you imagine <laughs> the reaction? What do you think? Well, <laughs> when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, of Jesus, some laughed in contempt. Now, I think I said this last week. I, just, I can't understand why people can believe in an almighty God that created everything that would have trouble believing that He can raise the dead. 
But evidently, that's a huge stumbling block. The Bible even says it's a stumbling block. It's hard for people to comprehend. But others, not everybody, didn't turn everybody off. We want to hear more about this later. Now, if he had started out like some of us doing, just dishing them and insulting them, probably nobody would have listened. But because Paul, in his wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit, said, hey, you've got some good, good, good steps you've taken. You just haven't gone far enough. It's not, your, your faith isn't complete. You don't have all the answers. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him, and amazing. Some of them began believers. This weird teaching. <laughs> Among them were real people. This is a real event with real people, Dionysus and a member of the council, kind of a, somebody up there, important person, and a woman, evidently probably important, maybe his wife, Demarius, and, and, and others, probably less important people. <laughs> Uh, with them. So he said, you're not all wrong, you're just incomplete. Um, you don't have certainty and you need to have certainty. This is too important. This is something new. It's not an add-on, this is something brand new. So I'm trying to map it out here on one slide, so here it is. <clears throat> Religion says, who is right? You know, are the Stoics right, the Epicureans right, who is right? He said, no, no, no. Christianity says, who is Jesus is the important question. Was he God? Did he raise from the dead? That's what's important. Religion says, what do you believe is true? This philosopher, that philosopher, this belief, that belief. No, no, no. <laughs> what do you believe happened? Do you really believe this Jesus guy lived, that he was God? He suffered and died and rose from the dead. What does God want from me? Religion asks. No, no. Christianity says, what has God done for me? God has given you this gift so that you can have a restored relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. And what kind of sacrifice do I have to make? That's what religion asks, right? Put money in here, go to this service, shave my head. What, what, what sacrifices? No. Will you accept His sacrifice? Sacrifice is already done. It's already complete. All you and I have to do is accept it. Repent of our sins. Accept that gift. So, sometimes you have to lose your religion to find God. Religion makes it more difficult, more confusing. Another way to say it is this. <clears throat> Focus on Jesus. Jesus would answer this way. Want to know what God's like? Look at me. Follow me. Um, the amazing thing is now we have somebody that demonstrate what God is like. Up until Jesus, God was invisible. You want to know where you stand with God? Well, if you accept His gift, you can call Him Father. He wants everybody to come into His family. He wants to have a personal relationship with everyone. Want to know if there's life after death? Come visit my empty tomb. I rose from the dead so you can live forever. So here's my challenge for you. If you're a doubter, um, maybe some of you listening and watching have kind of given up on Christianity because you see it as a religion. I would challenge you to do this. Just focus on the simple story and teaching of Jesus. You find that in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read that 
Think about that. Make your decision on that. Not about all these trappings of religion, but on this guy named Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father God, forgive us that are in the religious business for making Christianity, in some ways, a religion. It's made it harder for people to find you and find a relationship with you and find repentance and forgiveness. So God, help us to, those of us that are Jesus followers, to uh, help people understand what Christianity is about. It's not a religion. In fact, it's basically the opposite of religion. That's so important. And assurance, we can have assurance. People sometimes think we're arrogant and we say, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. No, no, Jesus, you did it all. If I accept it, you can't break your promise. You promised me that. This is too important for us to be, have lingering doubts, to not have assurance. And so if you're in that place, I would again encourage you to, to continue to search. But search in Jesus, not in religion. And hopefully get to that place to accept that gift, renew that relationship, or start that relationship. God will accept you, as we often say, unconditionally, just as you are. He'll forgive those sins. You're never far from God. God, I thank you for the privilege I've had of being your spokesman, and hopefully I've portrayed you truthfully and honestly. And... God, we just know that you will work through the truth. So as people watch and people listen and people have heard, we pray that your Spirit will bring them into this wonderful place of assurance. I'm at peace with God. We thank you that we can have that through, only through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.